0: Amidst the morning haze and the thick humidity of a Midwest summer, I ventured forth on a quest to unravel the enigma of one of Missouri's haunted roads. Eager to outsmart the sweltering heat, I set out early, but the beads of sweat forming on my brow told me that I was merely delaying the inevitable. As I walked along the small footpath through the woods that led from the parking lot to my allegedly haunted destination, my mind wandered tempted by the idea of a moonlit escapade, yet that daring notion came at a cost, a steep fine of a thousand dollars, the penalty carved with a chilling clarity, quote, zombie road. A few friends and I tossed around the idea of night vision cameras, or perhaps just risking it for the biscuit, however practicality won over audacity, compelling me to explore in the daylight first. Each step I took revealed a slice of zombie road's enigmatic past. The smell of old wood from long-since-traveled railroad tracks, rock outcrops etched with stories untold, and towering oak trees stand like silent sentinels of time. The trail, a newly paved ribbon cutting through the wilderness, beckoned with an air of secrecy, hinting at the tales the surrounding forest holds. The distant murmur of the Merrimack River provided a pleasant backdrop, And with an EMF detector in one hand and a digital recorder in the other, I ventured further into the heart of the legend. The sun's rays filtered through the trees, casting dancing shadows that seemed to me to be the perfect place to get out of the heat. I settled onto a bench and started recording the surrounding nature. That's when I noticed one of the notorious abandoned shacks along the road, just up the hill from where I sat. As I started talking to my camera, a figure emerged from where I had come from just down the trail. A woman, seemingly in her 30s or 40s, and dressed in modern attire. A tank top and shorts, walking along the path. I stopped recording, not wanting to seem silly talking to my camera, and also out of respect so she could enjoy a peaceful stroll. Rising from the bench, I continued on, leading the way. She was only about 100 feet behind me when I first spotted her, but I was moving at a leisurely pace and occasionally snapping pictures, so I wasn't surprised when I heard footsteps approaching not much later. I figured I'd let her pass and I moved closer to the path's edge. Then I paused again to photograph a small waterfall I noticed to the right of me. Yet, as I turned, the woman had vanished. I had only walked a short distance, perhaps 20 to 30 feet since I last saw her. There was no chance she could have turned around unnoticed, and her steps should have echoed through the fallen leaves if she had ventured off the path. As I stood there, baffled by the inexplicable vanishing act, the very essence of the place seemed to call out to me, urging me to uncover its hidden stories. And so, with the echoes of those mysterious footsteps lingering in my ears, I decided to look deeper into the intricate tapestry of Zombie Road's history. I'm Tiffany, and this is ominous obsessions. The roots of Lawler Ford Road run deep, and yes, I said Lawler Ford Road, aka Zombie Road. This trail has gone by many names over the years. While no official records trace the footsteps of the area's initial inhabitants, it's widely believed that the land was first inhabited by Native Americans, possibly the same tribes that erected the monumental mounds that once graced the site of modern-day St. Louis. These mounds, part of a Grand Mound city, stood as some of the largest in North America and were home to over 40,000 people. Side note, you can still visit some of these mounds today just across the river in Cahokia, Illinois. The Merrimack River and the lush forests surrounding the trail played a pivotal role in sustaining life, providing abundant food and resources that contributed to the construction of similar mounds in nearby Fenton. Petroglyphs etched along the Merrimack and Big Rivers further attest to the region's significance, while the fresh water and bountiful game transformed the vicinity into a vital rest stop for Native Americans. With the passage of time, the mound builders faded into the annals of history paving the way for the Osage, Missouri, and Shawnee Indians to claim the land. These tribes, too, utilized the flint quarries and thrived by hunting and fishing along the banks of the Merrimack River. The Shawnees' journey to the area was marked by an invitation from the Spanish governor of the Louisiana region seeking their assistance. Settling to the west of St. Louis, they became a vital source of game for the growing settlement. Yet, like footprints in the sand, they eventually moved westward, leaving a family in what would later become Times Beach, with memories of frequent Shawnee visits. While many other tribes traversed the region in response to forced migrations from their original lands, no historical records document their extended stay near Glencoe. This can be attributed to the area's role as a crossroads, pivotal for both Native American travelers and settlers alike. But when white settlers arrived during the 1800s, conflict arose as the Native inhabitants staunchly defended their territory and the crucial crossing point. John Thomas Scharf's 1883 historical account of St. Louis County details the intense struggles describing Native Americans ambushing pioneers from concealed spots among the trees and cliffs. It's from these events that the area earned its reputation as a perilous realm shrouded in uncertainty and danger. As we cast our eyes along Lawler Ford Road, the history of the region begins to unravel the possible origin of encounters with Native American spirits. With the knowledge that a ford once facilitated river passage, it's conceivable that the path leading to the water was an ancient Indian trail. Settlers adept at converting existing trails into roads may have continued this tradition with Lawler Ford Road. Thus, if the Native Americans left an indelible mark during their travels, hunts, or journeys for Flint, This could well be the reason why their spectral presence still lingers in the air along this trail today. Formerly called Glencoe, the area surrounding Lawler Ford Road has a new face in the modern era. It's now a small bike path in a town situated along the Merrimack River, where many residents occupy houses that were once summer resort cottages. Other homes from Glencoe's bustling railroad and quarrying era also stand, though the days of prosperity have long faded. The village merged with the larger town of Wildwood some time ago, becoming part of a bigger community. But the first white settler to venture into the area was Ninian Hamilton, hailing from Kentucky. Around 1800, he arrived near Glencoe and secured a settler's land grant. Hamilton's industrious efforts resulted in the construction of a house and trading post, propelling him into a position of wealth and influence during that period. This locale bore pivotal significance in the westward movement as the heavily wooded Merrimack river bottoms encompass steep hills and precipitous bluffs. The river's propensity to flood rendered its fords only passable during low water periods. Apart from a distant southern eastern ferry, no bridges span the river, shaping the routes of trappers and traders who, like their Native American predecessors, traveled by horseback along the ridge route now known as Manchester Road. This trail skirted the Merrimack, avoiding flood-prone areas, and passed Hamilton's homestead and trading post. Blessed with nearby fish, game, and spring water, Hamilton's post thrived. As time unfolded, Hamilton expanded his pursuits by establishing grist mills near his trading post, catering to the practical needs of settlers. Legend suggests that annual gatherings of fur trappers and Indian traders convened at Hamilton's establishment. A topic that has sparked continuous debate. While the veracity of this rendezvous remains elusive, history certifies that Hamilton's post was the final stop leaving St. Louis and the initial one trappers encountered upon their return, making the possibility of such gatherings plausible. One of Hamilton's mills later gave way to a water mill focused on tanning, erected by Henry McCullough, a Kentuckian who had procured his land from Hamilton. Niccolo was not only supplied the local region with his tannery and shoemaking business, but also dispatched substantial quantities of leather to his brother in the southern regions. Besides his commercial endeavors, Niccolo held this esteemed position of justice of the peace for nearly three decades and judged for the county court from 1849 to 1852. His three marriages punctuated his life, which concluded with his, pa- uh, with his passing in 1850. In 1868, the formation of the Glencoe Marble Company marked a pivotal moment in the area's history, with limestone deposits in what is now the Rockwoods Reservation gaining significance. This shift prompted the laying of a sidetrack from the deposits to Glencoe, extending to the road while crossing the property of James E. Yeatman. The sidetrack branched off from the main line of the Pacific Railroad at Yeatman Junction. Remarkably, this same location also marked the conclusion of the Lawler Ford Road at the river's edge. While the origins of the Lawler name remain undocumented, the river crossing point held historical importance, linking to the land owned by the Lewis family. Over time, the river crossing saw occasional use of a ferry boat, providing a compelling explanation for the road's placement at this specific spot. In 1876, tragedy struck when Della Hamilton Nicolu One of Henry's wives lost her life due to a railroad car on the Rockwoods Reservation Spur Line. Her death became an integral part of the zombie road legend, a ghostly figure forever connected to the train's force. This phantom tale has persisted for years, even though historical records do not mention recent railroad-related deaths in the vicinity. The railroads also played a crucial role in connecting Glencoe's history to the stories of Lawler-Ford Road. In 1853, the first rail lines arrived, carrying passengers on flat cars pulled by the St. Louis steam locomotive. This rail line featured two tunnels and connected St. Louis to Franklin, later renamed Pacific Missouri. The small station house in Franklin was a welcome sight amid the wilderness, and greeted with cheers as the train arrived. At the same time, tracks were extended along the river's path, passing through Glencoe. The name Glencoe was likely chosen by railroad engineer James P. Kirkwood, and combines glen, referring to a narrow valley, valley, and co, meaning grass. Today, traces of the original railroad remain at the end of Zombie Road. This area is believed to be haunted by the railroad ghost, a translucent figure in white walking the abandoned tracks before disappearing. Witnesses describe the figure emitting a bluish-white light that fades as someone approaches. Although the ghost's identity remains unknown, it's possible that the lingering presence is, indeed, the enduring spirit of Della Micolue, forever intertwined with the enigmatic history of Zombie Road. During the Civil War, St. Louis faced an intriguing predicament, While the city remained loyal to the Union, it was situated within a state predominantly aligned with the Confederate cause. To counter this, the Home Guard emerged, stationed along routes leading into the city. Their mission? To deter Southern sympathizers by any means necessary. This situation forced Confederate spies, saboteurs, and agents to seek less traveled paths for their movements to and from the St. Louis area. One of these obscure trails led to the ford across the Merrimack River near Glencoe, eventually becoming known as Lawler Ford Road. As this information reached militia leaders, the Home Guard stationed troops at the ford. The trail connected the river crossing to the small town of Crescent, which later gained the moniker Rebel Bend due to its status as a sanctuary for passing Confederates. With militia forces in place, crossing the river turned treacherous. Despite the risks, the scarcity of fords compelled many to attempt crossing here, often with tragic outcomes. Local accounts suggest that several individuals met their end in brief encounters with the home guard. Could these violent clashes provide insight into the lingering hauntings that now grace Zombie Road? It's plausible. As the years elapsed, the narrow road's purpose transformed, eventually becoming a passage for trucks transporting quarry stone from rail cars. Subsequently, the road fell into disuse. Memories of the road's heyday recall a peculiar ambiance. This narrow, meandering lane, encompassing roughly two miles of thick woods, seemed perpetually cloaked in a curious hush and diffused light. Even on the sunniest days, shadows stretched long, obscuring the view beyond the surrounding trees and underbrush. Those who experienced the road's era of activity shared stories of the challenges it posed. Encountering another vehicle often necessitated one party reversing to a rare wider section, or even back to the road's beginning, in order for the other to pass safely. Many visitors recount strange encounters near the weathered shacks and makeshift homes along the beach area at the trail's end. One enduring legend involves the apparition of an elderly woman, who allegedly startles onlookers with her piercing screams from the doorways of one of the old houses. Yet, upon investigation, the woman vanishes into thin air, leaving no trace behind. These houses date back to around 1900, when Glencoe was a flourishing resort community. The area of the Merrimack River's clubhouses extended until roughly 1945. Some cottages transitioned into year-round dwellings, while others were abandoned and left to decay amid the encompassing woods. This history explains the origin of the decrepit houses along Zombie Road, but offers no clarity on the operations encountered. Could these spectral manifestations be formal residents from bygone times? Perhaps some of these spirits seeking recognition of resolution returned to their familiar cottages after death, driven by unfinished business. (music) Jumping ahead to the 1950s, an eerie myth began to circulate, adding possibly the most notorious layer to the already mysterious tapestry of the area. The story goes that a mental patient known as Zombie managed to escape from a nearby asylum, only to meet a grisly end on Lawler Ford Road. The unsettling part? All that was discovered were his bloodied clothes, leaving a puzzle that refused to be solved. However, there isn't a nearby hospital, so I'm not sure on the accuracy of this legend. Alas, it made for one hell of a road name. Zombie Road was transformed into the Rock Hollow Trail in 2010 and is now a hotspot for hiking and biking enthusiasts just outside of St. Louis. Situated on the fringes of Wildwood, this trail winds its way through lush woodlands, occasionally passing by remnants of abandoned railroad tracks. For those curious, a convenient shortcut from Ridge Meadows Elementary School's parking lot leads directly to the trailhead. An adjacent sign mentions a bit about the local flora and fauna, as well as a touch of historical context, so it's not hard to miss. And with that, our journey along Zombie Road comes to a close. As we've explored the eerie tales and historical layers that shroud this trail, one thing becomes clear. The Rock Hollow Trail is a captivating blend of mystery, nature, and the echoes of the past. Whether you're captivated by the ghostly stories or simply seeking the solace of the woodlands, this trail offers a unique connection to both the supernatural and the serene. As you step onto the trailhead, remember the tales of restless spirits and the remnants of a bygone era that continue to leave their mark. Whether you choose to seek out the haunted whispers or find solace in the rustling leaves, the Rock Hollow Trail invites you to return and explore its intriguing landscape time and time again. If you're interested in seeing photos from my visit, follow the podcast on Instagram at ominousobsessionspodcast. Don't forget to rate and review Ominous Obsessions on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or creepy stories to share, you can reach out at ominousobsessionspod at gmail.com. So, until our next adventure together, stay safe and stay curious. Goodbye!